Today we're going to be in part two of this series on Jonah, or on the life of Jonah. And the story of Jonah, we said last week, it's not a story about a, a big fish. It's a story about a man named Jonah who ran from God, and then we find that he ran back to God. And remember now, he was a prophet of God. That's his job, to go speak on God's behalf. And he was told to go to Nineveh at that, at that time. Nineveh was the, the wealthiest, was the largest, most influential city. It's what uh, today is uh, modern-day Iraq. And it was the furthest you could go in the Eastern Empire. In the Eastern known world, that's where he was called to go. Now, God said in his word that they were, they were wicked, they were far from God, and that Jonah's job was to go to share with them about God, to be his spokesman and, and ask that they would repent and they would turn from God and their lives would get back on track. And Jonah decided what? He decided, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go do that. He decided, I'm going to go do my own thing. And he went down to Joppa, which is uh, near modern-day Tel Aviv, and he got on a boat, bought a ticket, and he headed off across the Mediterranean Sea to Tarshish, which is out on the edge of Spain, which uh, ironically was as far as you could go in the Western known world at the time. And so we're told he's supposed to go all the way to the east. Instead, he figures out how to go all the way to the west the other way, and that's his story. Now, when he's on that ship, a storm came up. It got really rough, and the seas seas shook, and and it got crazy out there. The sailors, it it said, were scared to death, and these were probably seasoned sailors. They throw their stuff overboard to kind of lighten the load and try to get the ship back together. They cried out to their gods. Nothing happened. They Finally, they cast lots. The lot falls on Jonah, and they have this little meeting with Jonah and say, what's up? You know, fess up. What's going on here? What did you do so wrong? And Jonah says, look, I'm running from God. I'm the problem. And then he tells him, just throw me overboard, and everything's going to be okay. Well, the sailors thought, well, we don't want to do that, and we'll just start rowing. It didn't work. It got worse and worse. Finally, they said, okay, they threw Jonah overboard. The wind died down, and the sea was calm. Jonah went into the sea, and that's where chapter 1 ends, when he gets swallowed by this large fish. Really, in Jonah's life, he had hit the bottom here. He had hit rock bottom. Have you ever felt that in your life? Has there been a time in your life where you would describe that was the bottom, that was the low point? Some of you, I know you're walking through it today. That's what, how you would describe your life at this moment. Scott McKnight once wrote this. He says, people change when they're on a quest or when they're in a crisis. Interesting, isn't it? And people will change when they're on a quest, when they're after something, Or when they're in a crisis, when the circumstances of life dictate that they need to make some adjustments in their life. So when you're having a bad day, week, month, what do you do? What does it look like for you? Having a bad day. Listen to this. uh, Quote, Iraqi terrorists, choir a niche, did not pay enough postage on a letter bomb. It came back to him with return to sender stamped on it. Forgetting it was a bomb, he opened it and was blown to bits. It's a bad day. Having a bad day. How about this quote? An average cost of rehabilitating a seal at the Exxon Valdez oil spill in Alaska was $80,000 per seal. At a ceremony, two of the saved animals were released back into the wild amidst cheers and applause. A few minutes later, in full view of them all, a killer well ate them both. (laughs) I know that's bad for some of you. That's bad. But how ironic, how ironic that that would happen. Sounds like a bad day. 
What do you do, though, when you're having a bad day? What do you do when you're at the point where you just, you just see no way out of what you're dealing with, or you would describe it as you've hit bottom? What do you do? Jonah had hit the bottom. He had hit the bottom in his life. He had fallen way off his perch of being God's go-to prophet. And now he's, and now he's in the sea, and he's swallowed by a well. So he disobeys God. He runs from God, the direction and the purpose for his life. And uh, because this, he's now suffering the consequences, what he calls the bottom in this, in this story. He's in the belly of a well. Big trouble, big danger here. Not quite sure what the next step is. And today, that's what I want to talk about. What does it look like for you and I when we hit rock bottom? So we're going to look at Jonah chapter 2 today and walk through that. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Jonah chapter 2. You also need uh, your, your note sheet if it looks something like this. If you didn't get one on your way in, just slip your hand up now and Richard's in back. He can walk around and make sure you have one of those. Um, there's some pins that are in the, the pockets in front of you and you can grab those. So Jonah chapter 2, we're going to look at, we're going to ask that question. What do we do when we hit rock bottom, when we hit when we hit the depths in our life. First thing we do when we hit rock bottom is don't be afraid to ask God for help. Now, you may say, well, that's kind of a duh statement, Tom, isn't it? But we forget sometimes. Don't be afraid to ask God for help. Take a look at at Jonah right at the beginning. Chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I have called for help, and you listened to my cry. So what are the options when we're in trouble? When we're hurting and we're lost, we're in the bottom, what are our options? Where do we look to? Who do we turn to? Who do we ask for help? Well, uh, many of us, first we look inward, right? We look inside ourselves and we evaluate and we ask ourselves questions like, is there anything I could have done different in this situation? You ever done that? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing to do, to, to look back and say, you know, how can I improve? The danger, though, sometimes is when we only look internal and we only look to ourselves, sometimes we overanalyze and we live our life just cycling over and over on what we could have done different and and often it leads to depression if that's all we do. Or people look outward. They look to others for counsel and advice and want to know, what do you think I should do in this situation? Nothing wrong with that. Going to people for counsel and advice, that's important. Christian counsel, that's one of the most important things you can get to in your life. The danger, though, is sometimes as Christians, we go and we, we get advice from anybody and everybody forgetting to ever open up God's Word and look for advice in what His Word tells us. Maybe you look backwards sometimes. You, you dig up your past mistakes and failures. You ever do that? Sometimes even unrelated m- mistakes and failures, and we dig those up and we start to relive those type of things. We look back and we say, man, you know, I was just so stupid then I just did this and now I can't ever get out of this rut and we relive that often when we relive that if we're not careful we can get in a cycle where we're just reliving it over and over and over and we just live in a state of defeat or there's this fourth option that we can start with and it's what Jonah did here in this story we can look upwards we can really look up and we can cry out to God and we can say like Jonah did God I need your help I need your help you know, for a lot of us, God is the last resort. Have you ever noticed that? In fact, for many people, prayer becomes like a 911 distress call at the last moment. You know, why is it, uh, I ask you, why is it that we never seem to get serious until we get desperate? Till we've looked in the mirror and we go, oh, I look like that. <laughs> it's time for an exercise program. 
why don't we, why is it that we, we seem to get serious when we look, we get desperate? I mean, we live average lives. We, I mean, we cruise along. We settle for less than our best. Maybe we never reach our full potential. And then what happens? The bottom falls out. And we get desperate. And one of the, thing, the first things we often do is we start praying. Or we stop Facebooking. Can you pray for this? We start leaning that direction. You know, if Jonah had just asked for God's advice up front, or if Jonah had just said, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I'll be obedient to that. Jonah wouldn't have gotten into any of this mess in the first, first place, in the water, now in the, in the fish. But what about you? What about I? And what does it take for God to get through to us? Does it take a crisis in our life? Does it take a tragedy sometime? Does it, does it take maybe a, a financial meltdown in our life? You know, I want you to know this morning that God cares for you so much. He cares for me so much that, that God will do whatever it takes to get our attention. Even sometimes allowing us to endure certain things that we've put ourselves into a position to endure because God cares for us. He loves us so much and he has our best intent in his mind. He doesn't want us to just live our life kind of on pause or, or going through the motion. God has no desire for us to waste our lives. He, he desires for us to have a life of purpose. So here's Jonah. He's rock bottom. He's in the sea. He's in the belly of a well, right? I mean, that's our setting at the end of chapter 1. And God finally has his attention. And he basically says, look, Jonah, I got your undivided attention. Now be quiet and just listen to me. Listen to me. If you've hit rock bottom today, if there's like this life situation in life when you just think, man, it's like all over. I can't see a way out of this. Yeah, I want to say to you as well, just relax. Be quiet. Listen to God. Listen to what he has to say. And don't be afraid in that conversation to ask God for help. He, he desires that. I mean, God wants, wants to give to us. Secondly, uh, don't be overwhelmed by your past sin. This is a tough one for us sometime. Be overwhelmed by your past sin. Now Jonah, in our passage, he starts to describe in graphic detail his descent into the depths of the sea. And it parallels uh, what really what happens when we move farther and farther away from God. Take a look at it, verse 3 through the beginning of verse 6. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. What, I mean, really, what's he saying here? He's saying, I'm out of the boat, and I'm treading water. I'm out, I'm out in this open sea, and I'm, I'm treading here. He said, I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet you look again towards your, I look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threaten me. The deep surrounds me. So he's no longer treading now. He's actually engulfed by the water. He's, he's going down is what's happening here. Seaweed has wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. What's he saying? He's basically saying he's, he's drowning is what's happening here. He's sinking down like, you know, like a rock headed to the bottom. And it even says he's clear at the bottom of the, of the sea. I mean, he's describing what happened because of his rebelling and his running from God. Sinking down. Did you know that sin separates us from God? There's no way around it. There's no way around it. Our sin separates us from God. You know, when God created this universe, he created a universe with some order, no sin involved. And what happened? Well, Adam and Eve, you know, they're put in the garden and they were told just don't eat of that one tree, the knowledge of uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they said, ah, you know, it's one tree, one tree. He's a loving God, <laughs> whatever justification. And they chose to eat of that. And what happened? When they disobeyed God, they were sent out of the garden. 
I mean, their sin separated them from God. That was a, the story in the Bible all the way from the beginning. And it's no different for us. Our sin separates us from God. We live in a different culture than Adam and Eve. We live in this postmodern culture and postmodern thinking. And our postmodern thinking often says sin doesn't even exist. Sin's a made-up thing. It's not the story of God's Word. The story of the Bible is that God loves you and me so much that he doesn't want to be separated from us. And he, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that separation and that gap could be overcome. That's the story of God's word. But the story is not that sin doesn't exist at all. The story is that we can be brought back to God. We can have that connection again. And so you see, there's a way out of sin. The Romans in 6, uh, verse 23, it says this, The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look, the wages of sin is death. In other words, the wages, the penalty, what we get for sin is death. People sometimes say, oh, you know, it doesn't really matter what you believe. We're all going to end up in the same place after all. That's not the story of the Bible, though. It's not what the Bible teaches us. The wages of continual sin, it's separation from God. That's what the Word says. This passage is talking about, in Romans, eternal death forever. The wages of sin is death, but the good news is here. It's right there in the same sentence. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the good news for us today is that separation, it can be overcome. And so if you've hit rock bottom, if you feel like today, boy, I am separated from God. Maybe you've never made a connection or a commitment to God. Or maybe it's that you made a commitment and you walked for a few years, but then, you know, it just got distant. The good news for us today is that you have a Lord and Savior. You have a Lord and Savior who will close that gap. He'll stand in that gap for us. Number three, don't be surprised that God wants to help you. You know, in my my counseling sometimes with with people, um, I'm actually surprised sometimes that people are surprised that God actually wants to help. God actually wants to step in and come to our aid. So no matter where you are today, God can hear your cry from help. Remember, Jonah was in the pits. Now you might say, you know, I mean, you don't quite understand. I just feel like my life is down in the depths, in the pits. Well, so did Jonah. Listen to what the Bible said. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Jonah basically felt like his life was falling apart. But God didn't give up on Jonah. He didn't give up on him at all. And God will not give up on you. He won't give up on you at all. So the times that we might have to endure the consequences of our disobedience, don't mistake that as God giving up on us. God God is not doing that. In fact, the Bible tells us he loves us like children, that we are his children. Those of us who are parents, we can understand that love. It's immediate. It's irrational. The moment that child comes forth, We have that love. Listen to how the Bible describes it, though. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. If you know know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? How much more? So don't be afraid to ask him. Don't be surprised that God wants to help you. He wants to give to us. You know, if we're not careful sometimes when we think about passages like this, you know, our our concept is clouded maybe by the concept of our earthly 
Father. I mean, you say, if I come to you and say, hey, you know, God loves you, you know, he, he wants what's best for you, he wants to help you, and your dad's situation was terrible, you'll say, Man, that's not my dad, and you have a hard time drawing that connection. Maybe for some of you, you, you understand the model was really good, and when I say, you know, he, he loves you, he wants to help you, you say, okay, I, I get that, I draw the connection. I want to tell you today, no matter what your earthly father's situation was, your heavenly father is passionate about you. He's passionate about you. I want you to have the image of your heavenly father today like, like a dad with open arms and you're running to him like, like the little kid who runs to the ice cream truck when it comes to the neighborhood. That's that view of what God wants to give you. He's irrational for you, unconditionally loving you. And so because of that, he wants to help you. He wants a way out. He doesn't want to just point at you at rock bottom and say, told you so, <laughs> should have helped me, had your chance. He wants. He wants to help us. That's the kind of God we serve. And if, he'll get good, if we'll give good gifts to our children, the Bible says, how much more does our Heavenly Father know what good to give us as well? So if you've hit rock, rock bottom, don't be surprised. Your Heavenly Father, your dad, he wants to help. He's there. Number four, here's a tough one. Um, this is one that, that, that's tough, so track with me on this. Is Once you've asked God for help, don't continue to live the same way. <laughs> don't continue to live the same way. I know it gets uh, uh, popular sometimes, and, and maybe you've even seen the old uh, Dr. Phil shows where he would just simply say, you know, don't do that. <laughs> well, in a, in a similar way, our passage is telling us this, but let's, uh, let's look to how the, the Word says it. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit grace that could be theirs. That's a powerful verse. Put your eyes on that. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. What's an idol? An idol is that man-made object. You know, an idol is something that we give our time and our, our devotion and our money to, and it doesn't really give us anything in return. It's this man-made thing. But, you know, there's a lot of things in our culture today that we're chasing after all the time. They get our time and our energy and our money and and uh, maybe even uh, our devotion, we would say. But they don't really give us anything in return. At least nothing of value like God's word has to offer. The Bible says if we keep hanging on to those things, we forfeit grace that could be ours. We forfeit grace. I mean, we have saving grace that God gives us, but we also have daily grace that God wants to offer us in our life day after day after day. And when we cling to these things, we forfeit that grace. You see, if, we're, if, we're living, if we keep living the way we did, we forfeit that grace of God. It forfeit meaning we give it up. And there's a lot of Christians today who say, you know, I know what the Word of God says. I know what it says. And I know I'm living in some sin, and, and I know I'm, I, you know, I'm living in daily disobedience. But, hey, you know, I know the grace of God will cover that. And, and I'm okay, because, uh, you know, God will forgive. He has to. And we go on with that mentality. And you know what? That's cheap grace. It's cheap grace. That's not the grace of God's word. In fact, that's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you're familiar with that, that author, he spends years unpacking this topic of cheap grace. It's when we say, you know, I know I can live in sin and do whatever I want, and all I have to do is kind of call to God, and he automatically has to forgive me. It's kind of that manipulative spirit Bonhoeffer says you're playing with eternal fire when we put our faith in cheap grace. That's, it's cheap. That's the hard part of this here because God wants our heart. 
That's what he wants. He wants our heart. And when God gets our heart, I understand the difference between blowing it a few times and making mistakes and the difference between willfully disobeying him regularly and then manipulating him into forgiveness. It's a difference there. You see, uh, this isn't about hellfire and brimstone. That's not what it's about. This is about grace. God has no interest in you living a guilt-driven Christianity. Not at all. It's not the message of the Bible. He wants your heart. He wants you to give everything you know of yourself to everything you know of God. I mean, that's the starting point, and that's the growing plan. Giving everything you know of yourself to everything you know of God. But when we keep living in sin, I mean, we walk away from God's mercy. That's what we do. We forfeit His grace. When we keep living in sin, we walk away from true love because we don't understand. We don't really understand the love He's offering. James 4, 7 even gives a harder verse. It says this, Anyone who knows that good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. It's like the sin of omission here, yeah, that, that we've heard of. We know what we should do, we do nothing. That still separates us from God. There's still a disconnect with God in that. Hebrews 6, maybe one of the harder passages in the Bible, take a look at it. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted heavenly, the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. Because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. That's a hard passage to work through. I mean, what happens with people sometimes is because they, they're living in separation or living in continual sin that often our hearts get so hard that the separation, it almost becomes permanent without God's grace intervening and a, a new, fresh receiving of God's grace. It's that we've forgotten and we lose sight and we become hard. Maybe we've gone to church a few times or maybe we even have and remember that time when we, we went forward at the altar at the, the youth camp and, and yet we've lived many years with kind of a hardened heart towards God's grace. The passage is really telling us, in other words, don't keep on willfully living the same way and expect God to be pleased. That's not how God operates. God loves us so much, he wants to have that relationship and that connection with us. He wants no separation in this. In fact, the passage says uh, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, right? But guess what? We can still walk away from it. We can still walk away from it. I remember a few years back, uh, maybe you remember when The Passion of the Christ came out. Do you remember going to the movie theater and seeing The Passion of the Christ? We went as a church family. It was uh, about 200 of us, actually, that went as a church family. And uh, right after that, we went to play our church softball game. It was the two church teams versus each other that night. <laughs> that was the most quiet, somber game uh, we've ever played in our life. Uh, but, yeah, you would walk out, and it was quiet when you walked out of the theater, right? And people would, were saying things like, wow, that was, that was graphic. Now, that was bloody. I remember hearing a friend say, that was abusive, Listen, when you and I, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, when we continually live in disobedience, how do you think that makes Jesus feel? The Bible says, it says we're putting him through the crucifixion all over again. We're crucifying the Son of God all over, and we're subjecting him to public disgrace. This isn't guilt-ridden. Don't take it that way. 
take it more as how serious God is about sin and how serious God is about wanting to not have separation with us, but have connection with us and right relationship with us. How does our disobedience subject Jesus to public disgrace? I mean, because when we say we're followers of, of Jesus and we continue to willfully sin, we've harmed the reputation, the name of Jesus. We cheapen it, and we cheapen our witness when we actually share about Jesus. Here's some question we should ask ourselves. Does anyone know I'm a Christ follower outside of my words? Can they see Jesus living inside of me? I told you it was a tough point. It's a tough point for us to wrestle with this morning coming out of Jonah. If you've hit rock bottom, don't keep living the way you did. Let God transform you. Number five, most important thing you can do when, when you're live, you feel like you're living in the pits, and that's declare your faith in God. Declare your faith. Here's what Jonah says. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. How do you declare your faith in God? You simply say, God, you know what? I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in your word. I believe in what you're about. I believe you're here. I, I believe you're, you have my best in store. I trust you. How do you do that? How do you make that happen? Well, Jonah gives us a, a, a little bit of head start on that. He says to be thankful. He says, I will sing a song of thanksgiving. You know that praise changes the focus. It praises, praise changes. It changes the focus from us to God. Prayer does the same thing when we go to God. If you've been a, a Christian a long time, how do you know if you're still a baby Christian? Look at your prayer life. Does it sound like gimme, gimme, gimme? Now, don't get me wrong. God tells us in his word to ask him, to ask of anything. Tells us that. But there's something missing if our prayer is only, give me, give me, give me, give me. Do you know the phrases in my house or the phrase in my house that just drives me batty in my house? It's the, I want, I want, I want. You know, I want, I want. All right? See, I could tell. You know, parents. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. I want, I want, I want, I want. You know, I want candy. I want a Happy Meal. Um, not to, you know, call out any of my kids by name, but, you know, I want a Bobby. <laughs> so that's Barbie in kid language there. Um, was that too much info? Does that give it away? Yeah. Before long, I find myself answering the I want, I want, I want with uh, tough, tough, tough. <laughs> or deal with it, deal with it, deal with it. Um, or as parents, we come up with that very clever response. You know, when they say I want, I want, I want, we say, well, I want a lot of things. As if, you know, I showed them. So I think it was Sierra who said, well, why don't you get it? <laughs> I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do when, when your six-year-old says that. How do we know when we mature in our prayer life and our connection with God? How do we know we're mature? We start out by saying thank you. Not, not, just, the, not, not just the saying the words, but I mean, there's that heart of thanks. That is looking to God and saying, God, you are an awesome, incredible God. Thank you. Thank you for what I have. It may not be what everybody else has or what uh, other people say I should have, but thank you for what I have, what you've done. Thank you for my business, my job. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my house, for food. Thank you for life. How about worship? Uh, How do you know when your worship is focused on you rather than on God? Uh, Do you ever catch yourself evaluating? I do. It's okay to say yes. You're not going to hurt my feelings. 
Um, I do. I find myself evaluating. I'll go visit a church, and I'll sit in a church, and I'm thinking things like, well, that wasn't a very good transition from song to song. Or, um, you know, like, well, I would have said this, I think, in that situation. And, well, that's a good verse, but I think there was another verse that probably would have hit it more on. And, you know, the pastor, that was, it was a good message, but, man, he just doesn't, you know, bring it quite this, you know. And, and I get, you get in this evaluation mode uh, throughout the whole time. And that's why we struggle sometimes as the American church, because we come to church and we often evaluate based on what I like or what I dislike. You ever find yourself doing that? Well, it's a pretty, pretty good if you find yourself doing that to say, probably the focus is focused on, or the worship is focused on me and not on God this morning. Here's the good news, though. It's, it's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about our connection with God. It's all about Him. And so what do we need to, to keep our focus? What do we need to do? We need to give a song of thanksgiving like Jonah tells us here. Secondly, we need to, to be generous. He says, he says that, he, that uh, he gave a sacrifice. I'll give a sacrifice to you. Now I know some of you think, well, boy, two out of three weeks and you're going to hit us with the giving uh, topic. That's not exactly what, what we're talking about here with the sacrifice. What we're finding out here is that this goes beyond just finances. This is everything that we, that God really has given us everything. And Jonah realizes this in the belly of a well, and he wants to offer sacrifice to God here. I'm not sure exactly what physically that sacrifice looked like for Jonah, but we're told he did that. What really is generosity? Do you know that generosity is more about, is really not about what we give. It's, it's really about what you keep for yourself. That's really generosity. Not about what you give, but what you keep for yourself. I mean, let's take tithing, for instance. You might say, man, God, you're really hitting me with this 10% thing. You're hitting me really hard, beating me up with this 10% thing. But let's say you give your 10% and you get 90% to yourself, right? Wrong. It all belongs to God, and he desires us to use it as good stewards. You know, one night a while back, I got a call about 11 o'clock from from somebody, uh, there was a marital issue going on, and she just needed to get out of the house, needed to be away, time to cool off, sleep, think, process, and that type of stuff. And um, she was out of town and was kind of stuck, and so I called the hotel room, and uh, I, I found out the cheapest room was like 58 bucks. And I thought, where's the $20 room hotels? And probably I shouldn't, wouldn't have sent her to those anyway. Um, so I called the hotel, and it was 58 bucks, and I thought, man, Shree and I, we don't have 58 extra dollars. And it was like clear as day, the word in God's head was, what do you mean you don't have 58 extra dollars? I mean, you worked out today at a, at a gym that you paid for. You, know, you, you left there with a bottled water that you paid for on your way to Subway to get a sandwich, a footlong sandwich. What do you mean you don't have 58 bucks? And I thought, well, I tithed this month, so maybe the church can help her out on this. And I just know God was saying to me, I heard it clear, you know, Basically, Tom, what's the matter with you? You're a pastor, and yet you're a moron on this. That's what I felt, and that got my attention. And, you know, Shree and I booked the room for her. And you might say, well, good job, pastor. Way to do the right thing. Why the battle within me then? Why the conversation in my head? You know, it's hard sometimes for us to understand that it all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. Not just finances, go across the board. It all belongs to him, and he wants us to be good stewardship. And that's very tough if our focus is on us. It just won't happen. And so it's not about money. It's about our time, too. I mean, we spend an hour or two on Sunday mornings hanging out in God's house, but we don't have time for God during the week. 
being in God's Word or, or spending time with Him. You don't need another church event during the week to spend time with God. Or maybe it's relationships and we just, I, I, don't, I don't have the energy. I don't have the energy to talk to that person who's going through an issue or a problem or, or help them out. God says, hey, I want you to be good stewards of all of it, every single bit that I've given to you. So you want to show your, your faith in God. Have you ever put yourself in a position where you're like totally dependent on God, 100% dependent on God? Maybe it's financially or maybe there's a family relationship uh, that you're dealing with. Maybe it's your business, but you're totally dependent where he has to provide or you won't make it. If, if you do this, you start to understand what generosity, you start to understand thankfulness, what that's all about. Because you realize everything you get, it's coming from him when you're totally dependent on him. Thirdly, uh, is we, we need to be obedient. He says what here? He says, I have vowed I will make good, was Jonah's words. Jonah's words means that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. We judge just about every relationship we come in contact with by did that person do what they said they were going to do. We rarely evaluate ourselves with did I do what I said I was going to do. That's what Jonah is is finally doing when God got his attention. He said, I'm going to make good on what I said I would do. What builds a strong marriage? You keep your vows, right? And you do what you say you're going to do. What destroys a marriage? When you can't trust each other anymore? And you can't treat each other the way your vows intended to treat each other. What about a great employee at, at a company? When that, and that employee says, yeah, I'll take that job and I'll do what I say I'm going to do. And, and that employee does it. So what shows God that we have faith in him? When we make a commitment to him that we carry that out. That we stay faithful to that. Here's why we're so scared of that in our culture today. is because of the term legalism. We often think that if we push on one another and hold each other accountable to doing what we say we're going to do, that we fall into the camp of being legalistic. That's not what the Word of God is telling us here. The Word of God is saying in relationships, in our relationship with God, when we make covenant and commitment before God, that's a significant, significant event that we need to hold out to. In any of our marriages these days, we can simply say irreconcilable differences and get just about any judge to sign off for it, and you can walk away from it. The value of commitment and covenant in God's word is much, much stronger and deeper. It's why we in the church often say, when we say our vows, we do it before the Lord in a church. In fact, I really think we understand all we need to know about how relationships are built. I think every single one of us, we know if we follow through with our commitments and our vows, that's good. No follow-through and the relationship crumbles. Any relationship, right? I think we know this across the board. The problem is we just have a hard time applying this to our relationship with God. So declare your faith. Be thankful, be generous, be obedient, and fourth, finally, be hopeful. Why? Why are we hopeful? Because salvation comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from how good you and I are. It comes from the Lord. It comes from Christ who died on the cross for us. In a survey, this is interesting, in Group Magazine, a thousand people were asked the question, are you going to heaven when you die? You want to know the responses? Number one, 57% said, I hope so. 13% said, I don't know. 21% said, yes. 7% said, they don't believe in heaven. And 2% said, no. 57% said, 
I think so. That's a tough way to live. <laughs> it really is a tough way to live. I would love the breakdown of that 57% to know how many of those were people who would say, I think I'm a believer, I'm a Christian. That's a tough way to live. Listen, it doesn't make you arrogant to say, yes, absolutely, absolutely, I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven, not because I'm a pastor. Uh, I know I'm going to heaven, not because I go to Windover Hills Church or because I was born in America. It's not because I'm just a good moral person. It's because I've accepted the blood of Jesus Christ and the cross as full payment for my sins and that I've chosen now to live my life with Jesus as the Lord of my life. That's the message of God's word. And so when we can answer that, we can say, yes, absolutely, that I'm going to heaven. There's a key verse as believers that I think we have to mark in our Bible. I think you've got to memorize this verse if you ever struggle and doubt in this area. It's 1 John five, thirteen. This is what it says. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may hope that you have eternal life. No, it says that you may know that you have eternal life, that you'll know it. Would you say that verse out loud with me? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's a verse you can claim and know. It's not an ego trip when, you, when somebody asks you if you're going to heaven and you say, yeah, absolutely. Not because of, of how good moral person I am, but because Jesus, what Jesus Christ has done for me on the cross. That's the way I know with, with certainty. If today you can't make that claim of Jesus Christ, the, the full payment for your sins and living your life for him, then it's premature to say yes, absolutely, on that. But the opportunity is there for you every day, even today, the opportunity to say yes. So be hopeful. You can be hopeful because when you hit rock bottom, what happens? You often lose hope. When you run away from God and we do our own thing, what happens? We lose hope. But today we, we can be hopeful. Hope's what gets us uh, up in the morning. It's, it's what tells us, you know, I got a new day. I got a new start, new possibilities, new opportunities. That's what hope does for us. So declare your hope and faith in the Lord. Here's a song you may be familiar. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground, it's sinking sand. That's what we can claim today. So have you hit rock bottom? That's the question for you today. Or, or do you recognize you're on the path to rock bottom? When Jonah hit rock bottom, he cried out to God, and guess what God did? God gave him a second chance. That's what God does. God gives second chances. Verse 10, it says, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. That's like a great, perfect junior high guy uh, verse. So um, if you have a junior high son, this, he might like that. So, sometimes when people ask me what my favorite verse is, I like to quote a verse that has vomit in it just to kind of gauge what their response would be. Um, actually, side note, there, you know, there's 14 verses in the Bible that have the word vomit in it. So that's... That's free info for you. There's no charge for that. That's just extra. So, Now, you might say, now, how, how was that a second chance for Jonah? Well, what was the alternative to being vomited out? It was, it was living your life, your days out in the belly of a, of a big fish. Uh, remember, the purpose hadn't changed. God, uh, Jonah was called to go to Nineveh to advance the gospel, and there's just not many people hanging out in the belly of a fish to, to share the gospel with, uh, we don't think at least. Um, you know, God has a purpose for you. 
He has a call on your life. He really does. And if this morning sin has separated you, whether it's because you've never made a commitment to Christ or whether you're just like, man, there's not a fullness of what God has to offer my life because I stay connected to this thing that I deal with day after day, maybe. You know, today, uh, you can have a second chance, much like Jonah. God has said, look, I'll vomit you out of your trouble. Is what God wants to do. I will, if we cry out to him. That may not be the image you're after today, but uh, God wants to give you a second chance. The opportunities there for you today. The priest seems to be going to come and, and lead us in uh, a song here. And I wanted to, to take the time as, as we're finishing to allow you to just go before God and do some business with him. I was out one time at a, a, I guess you would call it a camp meeting when I was young. This is before I knew the Lord. And I remember getting to this time where a pastor said, you know, this is a time for, for you to do a little business with God and, and come forward. And and then there was about a 20 minutes of, of guilt-driven verbal abuse that ushered people forward. We don't have any desire to do that this morning. We have a desire to just trust that the God might be speaking to you this morning already. And that all we need to do is offer the opportunity for you. We use these steps as kind of a makeshift uh, altar up here. And this morning, if, if you're saying, you know, hey, I, that describes me. I've been separated from God. And I need, like Jonah, to cry out to him this morning. Maybe there's an unconfessed sin going on in your life that your family doesn't know, nobody around you knows, and you live with it day after day after day, hiding it. This is a good opportunity to come before the Lord and confess that. Maybe this morning you you don't know the Lord, and you've heard it over and over, and this morning you're like, I want to to claim the blood of Jesus Christ and accept him into my life. You can come forward and do that as well. Or maybe there's just something heavy on your heart, something you're dealing with, health-related otherwise, that you just need to come up and lay before him. This is your opportunity. So while the praise team sings this song with the powerful word of surrender in the title, I want to allow you the opportunity to come and kneel before the Lord and and offer surrender. And and in just a couple minutes, I'll pray for you and, and close this out. The altar's ready. Would you come and be before the Lord?